a powerful song. Join me in a word of prayer. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to worship you. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity uh, to be in your presence this morning. And Father, we just ask that you would uh, speak to us now as we look at your word, as we continue uh, understanding what it means to want more of you, to need more of you, God. And so would you help us uh, in this time to just um, linger with your, your, your spirit, Father, to, to um, be present with you. And Lord, would you speak to us? And we pray these things. In your holy and precious name, amen. Well, I love this time of year. Christmas uh, is upon us. It is this week. And man, what a joy and a privilege to have family here. Uh, so if you're new, if you're just joining us, welcome. My name is Eric Miller, and I am the youth pastor here. And it's been such an honor and a privilege to get to do uh, the past month uh, of this sermon series that we're calling More. And we've been wrestling with the Beatitudes. We've been uh, studying these uh, few verses in Matthew chapter 5. And if you have a Bible, you can turn there. We're going to dive in here quickly. Uh, and if you don't, you can put your hand up and we have some ushers who would be happy to give you a Bible. So let's go ahead and uh, recap just real quick uh, what it is that we've been talking about, what it is that we want more of. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, he kind of arrives on the scene and he begins his ministry with this with this proclamation with this declaration with what's called the Beatitudes. And so he begins each of these statements with this word blessed, which means you're fortunate or you're happy. Uh, you'll be better off because of you doing these things. And so he begins his ministry uh, by it says, seeing the crowds calling his disciples to him and then teaching. So let's go ahead and read this and see what it is that Jesus is teaching his disciples and the crowds. We're in Matthew chapter 5 and we're going to start in verse 1. It says this, seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed, verse 3, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now you got to think, uh, around Christmas time, we, we celebrate the birth of, of this baby boy, right? We celebrate the birth of Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's Emmanuel. He's come to change things. And like we just heard in this song, you know, people in this day, they really thought, man, Jesus is going to come and he's going to rule and he's going to reign and he's going to be our king. And then Jesus begins to teach and he, he starts talking about, hey, blessed are you when you're poor. Now, wait a second. You're thinking like this, this guy's going to be our king. And he says, blessed are you when you're poor. Whoa, stop. Wait a second. Like, blessed are you when people persecute you. Uh, right? You got to imagine that the people who are listening to this, they're beginning to get a little bit uncomfortable. 
about what, what is this guy really all about. And what he's doing is he's taking their culture, their context, their life as they know it, and he's flipping it on its head. And he's saying, look, blessed, you'll, you'll be fortunate, you'll be happy if you do these things, you'll be better off. Now, we've looked so far in this series at verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. We've looked at verse 4, blessed are those who mourn. We've looked at verse 5, blessed are the meek. We've looked at verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We even looked at verse 7, blessed are the merciful. And then we skipped ahead and we looked at verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, if you're, you're quick, You've realized that we skipped verses 8 and 9, and we're going to talk about those this morning. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, and blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So join us. We're going to go deep this morning. Put on your thinking caps. Let's talk about what it means to be pure. What does that mean? In, in our, uh, I'm going to guess that in our world today, we think of purity in one of three areas. One, first one that comes to my mind every time, water right? Water. It, it's pure. Yeah, it's, that's how they advertise it. Like our water isn't have, our water doesn't have floaties in it, right? Our water is pure. It's clean. You can drink it. It's good for you. That's how it's advertised. Maybe the second one is gold or jewelry, right? Uh, you know, it's worth more. It has more uh, value to it when it's pure. Or maybe the third one, I'm a youth pastor and parents, you know this, you think about purity in terms of our sexual identity and being pure and remaining from sex until marriage. And so uh, those are three things that maybe for most of us we think about in terms of purity. We can oftentimes relate purity to sight. When something is see-through, we think it's pure or um, it's clear. But let's give a definition. Here's what the word pure means. It means free from blemish or contamination. It's clean. It's blameless. It's unstained by guilt. It's pure. Now, when you think about this verse, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What, what, What would you think about if he had said, blessed are the pure, for they shall taste. What if it was, blessed are the, the pure in heart, for they shall feel God. What if it was any other sense, but he says, but you will see God, and he refers to it in regards to purity. Jesus said about purity of heart, though. So to me, we have to go a little bit deeper when you think purity of heart, well, that's a whole other issue. That's an inward response rather than external purity. Just looking like we have it together might be how we tend to respond in our culture, in our world today. Well, what do you think Jesus means when he says, blessed are the pure in heart? Well, let's keep going. The word pure here specifically references two things. And I had to do some digging on this, but I found uh, that this same word in the Greek, it refers to two different images. The first image is purification by fire. Okay, now that doesn't really sound like fun. Purification by fire. Uh, We can see this in Malachi chapter 3, verse 2, where where it mentions uh, the Messiah as one who's like the refiner's fire, who will do the work of purification. They were looking forward. They were waiting with great anticipation for the Messiah because he was going to come and purify the world. Then the second part is the purification by pruning. 
Well, that doesn't sound real pleasant either, does it? Purification by pruning can be seen in John chapter 15 where Jesus gives us this picture and he talks about the father as the gardener. He talks about how he's the vine and we are the branches. And if we don't bear fruit in him, we get pruned, purified, cut off. And so when we begin to think about, well, what does this mean for us? Is, is Jesus saying in order for us to be pure in heart that we, should be, that we should be put through the fire and that we should be cut and pruned? Yes, I, I think that is what he's saying. In our hearts, for our hearts to be made pure through this process of great trials and testing and through this process of having things be removed from our life. Think of it maybe like like this. Um, at Christmas time, maybe your family's like mine. Uh, is is a favorite part of my family's uh, tradition at Christmas. And so uh, my mom makes these these caramel brownies, and they are just to die for. Uh, and so she sent me the recipe, and I, I did my best to duplicate it. And so I have some brownies here, and uh, they're they're pure, they're they're blameless, they're they're really good brownies. And so if I had a volunteer of somebody that wanted to come try one, I'm pretty sure that everyone would raise their hand. But now let me tell you the ingredients, okay? And think about this. When, you, when you're making, making something, think about the ingredients that you put into it. You might start with, when you're making brownies, you might start with um, a chocolate cake mix, right? That's probably pretty essential. You might have eggs that you put in there. You I guess I just hold this one too tightly. Let's try Pastor Scott's. There we go. Um, when, you're, when you're baking, you have all these ingredients, okay? Well, what else goes into brownies? Eggs, milk, sugar, right? That's going to be a key ingredient for brownies to taste good. My mom's has caramel, okay? That's a huge ingredient for me uh, to have in there. Well, what if, what if I told you that, that, there was yesterday when I was baking these, uh, a little bit of my dog's feces got put in here. I mean, it's, it's not a lot. It was just, it was an accident. It was just, just a little bit. And it, it got mixed in and it got, I mean, does, would anybody want to try one of these then? You're laughing at me. Wow. I mean, it, they still look really good. They're like soft and, and moist, if I can say that. Like this just, they, they, they still smell like they should be okay, right? I mean, you, would you say like that this is still a pure thing of goodness? You re- some of you really want me to take a bite of this, don't you? I'm a youth pastor. It doesn't faze me. Okay. Those are good. Here's my point. I got a little piece. It's okay. All right. So here's my point. When we think about things that are pure, they're undefiled, they're clean, they're blameless, they're free from guilt. And if you said, hey, these brownies, they, they, they're okay, but they have a little bit, a, a little bit of... Something bad, something that you, that you fear. Think about this in terms of our life or in terms of our heart. 
Well, in our world today, we say, man, this movie, it was so good, but it's got just a a little bit of violence. It's got just a little bit of bad language. It's got just a little bit of of nudity. This is my favorite TV show, but it's just got, got a little bit of, like, things that aren't good. And God says that help us to be pure in heart. Do those things honor our father does it help us to to see him more or does it just muddy the waters for some of us we we want desperately to see god at work in our life but we're not willing to remove the contamination that's in our hearts we're not willing to to go through that process of purification of pruning or of allowing the Father to refine us to be at work in our lives. I found uh, an article that says this about purity. It says, being pure in heart, and involves having a singleness of heart toward God. A pure heart has no hypocrisy, no guile, no hidden motives. The, the pure heart is marked by transparency and an uncompromising desire to please God in all things. I love that. There's a, a favorite speaker of mine. His name's Francis Chan. And uh, he would talk about his, his mother-in-law. And she never, ever, ever wanted to go to the movie theater. Because she was so afraid that if she went to the movie theater, even to see like the new Star Wars movie or like the big thing that everybody was going to do, she refused to go. Because she would say, well, what if Jesus comes back? I don't want him to find me there. Like, wow, that is, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I'm not there. But it's this picture of an uncompromising desire to please God in all things. The author of this article, they went on, they said, it's more than an external purity of behavior, it's an internal purity of the soul. The only way we can truly be pure in heart is to give our lives to Jesus and to ask him to do the cleansing work. Psalm 51 verse 10 says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. God is the one who makes our hearts pure, and it's by the sacrifice of his Son through the sanctifying work that he does in our lives. God gave us this incredible gift by sending his son, Jesus. And we celebrate that at Christmas time. We, we celebrate the fact that, that Christ is calm and we sing all these songs about it and we, we rejoice. But do we really understand what he's wanting to do in our lives? Well, let's talk a little bit about what it means to be a peacemaker. Verse 9 says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of of God. We, we get to join God's family. Well, so when we think about what Christ came to do on this earth, what was his, his goal? What was his, his mission? I believe that part of that was for him to be a peacemaker. Well, what's a peacemaker? A peacemaker is a person who tries to make peace. Isn't that a great definition? I know. Uh, especially in regards to reconciling two parties who are enemies, two groups of people who are at war with each other. 
Well, if you really think about it, because of our sin, we are enemies of God. I mean, if we're honest, we're enemies of God because of our sin. Our sin separates us from a good, perfect, holy God. He can have nothing to do with us. But he made a way. Let's look at this verse in Colossians, if you want to turn there. Colossians 1, verses 19 through 22. I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. And I want you just to think about the imagery that Paul uses here, this picture that he's painting of what a peacemaker is all about. He says this, For God, verse 19, in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled, there's that word, he reconciled, he brought together everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood that was shed on the cross. And this includes you, verse 21. This includes you and I, who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts, inward, and actions, outward. Yet, now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body, and as a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and now you are holy and blameless. You're, you're pure as you stand before him without a single fault. I, I love that. That's beautiful imagery of what Christ has done for us, how God made a way for us to overcome our sin, our unclean heart, are defiled far more than just a little bit of something that contaminates us. And God made a way through sending Christ, his son, to take our place. I love that. I believe that, that Jesus was the ultimate peacemaker. He came to make a way. Maybe some of you, you don't look forward to the holidays because of all of the enemies that are in your family. And you're like, oh, my sister's going to be here, and she is an instigator. Or my brother's going to be here, and they just don't look it like them. And don't, if your family's here, don't make eye contact right now. Okay. But maybe you've played the role of a peacemaker, and you try desperately to communicate to them, and you try desperately to, you know, to paint things from their picture and say, you know, Mom, this is really what's going on. Or you, you try to play that role of peacemaker. We know how difficult that is. We know how hard that is. And yet, aren't you so glad that Jesus has already played peacemaker? He made a way for us to be in right relationship with God the Father. I love that. I believe that there is no real peace apart from a relationship with God. As I said already, our sin separated us from him because we're not clean or pure apart from the work of Christ in our lives. And because of God's great love for us, he gave us the ultimate gift. Think about it. Christmas time, we, we long for gifts or presents. But God gave us the best gift of all, his son, Jesus, the original peacemaker. He took our place, the price we owed 
the penalty that we deserved. And he died for us. And God raised him from the dead that we too might have new life in Christ. God made a way for us to be reconciled, to be made right with him. Ephesians 2 verses 8 through 9 says this, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is says not from yourselves. It's the gift from God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. Now, church, when, when you get a gift this week at Christmas and someone hands you a gift, what do you do with that? What do you do with that gift? Do you just set it aside if it's a gift from your kids and say, thank you so much for giving me this gift. It is beautifully wrapped and I will cherish it forever. And your kids are going to be like, what? You're not going to open it? Open it. Take it out. Use it. You're going to love it. We would be like really jerks if this year at Christmas you didn't actually open the present, right? That would, be, that would just be sad. And yet, the reality is God has given us the best gift ever. But for some of us, we haven't opened it. It's just sitting in a box. Maybe it just sits on a shelf collecting dust, and you only just go get it out when you need it. Do we want more of God's presence, him being with us, or do we want more of his presence like I asked us in week one? See, I think it's both. I think we need more of his presence. We need to spend time lingering with him being in his presence, being changed and transformed because of God's work in our life. But I also believe we need his one present that he gave us, his son, Jesus. Think about uh, uh, your favorite gift that you've ever gotten. Think about, like, maybe I, I, I'm a watch guy. I like watches. Uh, and, you know, when you first get a watch and you're, like, you're, you're learning all of the things about it, you're learning what it does. Maybe you like uh, technology and you just got a new gadget or gizmo and you, you enjoy, you, you literally like read the manual and you think, man, I'm going to learn everything there is to know about this gift. Well, what happens? A month, three months, six months. At some point, that gift is no longer the shiny new iPhone. It's now like old because it doesn't work anymore. It, it's like... Well, you know, I learned how the watch works, and now I just, I need a new one. And I don't like this one. Right? That happens for every gift. Jesus is not like that. And I'm grateful for that. Jesus is not like that old iPhone that doesn't work anymore that you were so excited when you first got it. Man, when you learn more about him and you go deeper in exploring the vastness of the gift that, he, that God has given to us through his son, oh my goodness, you will never be satisfied. You will always want more. You will always want to go deeper. And the, the problem is, it's on us, if we're honest. The reality of why we don't be satisfied in his presence is it's on us because we don't spend time with him. So, we need Jesus to make us pure, and we need Jesus to give us peace. So, church, I ask you two questions. Do you want 
to see more of God in your life? And if so, what are the things that are muddying the waters and preventing you from doing so? Second question, do you want to be called a son or a daughter of God? And if so, have you been reconciled to your heavenly father through the work, the gift of Christ and what he did for us? I believe that we have to wrestle with those two things. So I'm going to invite the praise team to come on up. And I want to just recap this whole series for us. We've called it more We've talked about what it means to, to be and learn about being spiritual beggars. In week one, we talked about understanding our need for more of God rather than more from God. And if we're honest, that really is an internal wrestling. It, it points to the heart of the issue. Do we want more of his presence, his nearness, or do we want more of his presence, the things that he gives us, the things that he might offer. It helps us to identify the state of our heart. I asked us a a difficult question. What things do we worship more than we do God? That is a clear indication of the things that are in the water that contaminate your life. And maybe we need to purify them. Maybe we need to cleanse them. In week two, we talked about our need for Christ's righteousness, not our own righteousness. We we talked about what things do you desire. We looked at do you hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness is only found in Christ and Christ alone. We are not righteous because of the, the good things that we do or the bad things that we do. It's only through our right relationship with Jesus that we can be found righteous. And in verse 10 where Jesus himself, he says, blessed are you when you're persecuted because of righteousness sake, because of your identification with him. You'll be blessed. And so I asked, what are you persecuted for? And is it because of your relationship with Christ or something else? And then we talked about mourning. What, What do you mourn over? What do you grieve over? And is it your sin Do you mourn and grieve over the things that make you an enemy of God? Do you mourn and grieve over the things that contaminate your relationship and prevent you from seeing him clearly? Last week, we talked about our need for Christ's attributes. In week three, how God rubs off on us in those attributes of being meek and merciful, of loving and gentle, We can take on those attributes of Christ. We can become more like him by spending more time with him. We talked about if you really want to know what Jesus meant by what he said, then look at what he did. And I think that was a a key tool for a lot of us to help us. And then this week we're wrestling with our need for God's present the present of Jesus, the gift that he gives us in salvation. Have you taken it out of the box? Have you enjoyed the the goodness of Christ? Or is it just something that we worship during the Christmas season? I want us to to wrestle with this this morning, and we're going to sing one more time this song, I Surrender. 
And I think for a lot of us, this this song has been um, maybe challenging to us, if, if we're honest. This idea of surrendering. It's this idea of like the end of ourselves and the beginning of God at work in us. And as we sing this song and we, we think about the lyrics, church, I, I want to challenge you. Don't sing if you don't mean it. But do you mean this song? Do you, do you really want to surrender to have more of him in your life? And if that's the case, then, man, would you join us and would you just belt it out? And let's declare this as the beginning of God being more at work in us and the end of ourselves trying to figure it out on our own. Would you stand and join us?